Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas for Worth. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 1053 The Fan, and we want to thank everyone for joining us. Our first guests today are Bill and Vicki Atkins. Bill and Vicki Atkins have started the Brett Atkins Foundation. And since this is the time of the year where a lot of high school kids are applying for grants, I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about the Brett Atkins Foundation and how you're offering scholarships that are somewhat unusual. It's about scholarships for kids who say no to drugs. Is that right, Bill? Yeah, that is exactly right. Yeah, and they, they, uh, I won't say they've all had some uh, association uh, or been you know, around it or seen it or been scared by it mm-hmm. or actually had tragedy. But uh, we we do what we can and try to, you know, one thing that I think does happen is people, you know, kind of set off on a mission statement and they get all sidetracked with all the uh, different various things. And we stayed pretty true to the course and it's really worked well. So these scholarships for the kids, the high school kids who say no to drugs, what made you start doing this? And, and, and Vicki, you could answer that. Well, being a parent of a of a son that did experience uh, in in drugs and alcohol, you know, um, we all make mistakes, and we all, you know, could do better with the choices that we make. Brett, you know, was a great kid, made some some stupid choices, didn't need to. I'm alive today, but I it, it, I just think that. It's only by the grace of God that I am. But when it comes to Brett and his his choices, you know what? He, he, he was very unfortunate. And something that was just, you know, just didn't have to happen, happened. And it, it, it cost him his life. You know, there's just a lot of, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of families that are experiencing situations like this where you, you're trying to raise your kids the right way and they, they get influences um, from their peer groups. Um, Bill, could you talk about what kind of kid Brett was and then exactly what happened to him? I know it's kind of personal. Well, Hey, he, he, you know, he's my favorite high school kid, you know, he wanted to play football, you know, he, he had this crazy personality. So, uh, he's just one of those kids, you know, that like when, when he showed up, I mean, he was the, he was the star of the show. I mean, he just had this amazing personality. Charismatic. Crazy. Yeah, very charismatic, and you, you know, I think uh, the fact that the the uh, you know he was always trying to be uh, he wanted everybody's approval, and I, you know, one of the things you know that got him in trouble a little bit, he got into social media, and he mm-hmm. was always trying to show off a little bit, like we see kids do every day, and I'm mm-hmm. like going, oh my god, you know, and. At the end of the day, is what happened to our son is he, he you know, he got uh, put together in 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 a botched robbery and he was murdered and oh he was shot on Christmas Eve. Uh, he died on Christmas Day. Um, you know, there was, you know, it was ten thirty at night. Uh, he passed away at one o'clock on Christmas Day. There was absolutely nothing that uh, we could do. Uh, uh, um, it, it was just one of those things. You just can't believe it was your, your child. And, uh, you know, we were, we're more than privileged. And at the end of the day, I mean, it, it was so something that you would never expect 
in 10 million years. Nor, I mean, I, I never in my life ever thought that I, you know, lose a child that way of all crazy things. It was just a horrible experience for us. So, you know, one of the things that we did, like I said, we got so, you know, sidetracked with all these different things. We tried to figure out what was one thing that Mm -hmm. we could do. And we came up with, Hey, we can't save all the kids that are coming through school. Uh, and you know, and teenagers, it's just an impossible task, but we can do it one student at a time. And that's one of the things that we found when we stay with that one kid at a time, we can make a difference and we have made a difference and it's exciting. And it, you know, as you can tell in my voice, it gets me excited just to know that we've taken a kid that didn't have a chance and given him a chance. And then we've watched him flourish, mm-hmm. which is, it's, it's more exciting. You watch a kid that, uh, and we got one in particular, I won't mention his name, but I mean, he literally lost his father, uh, passed away during an overdose and he was right there and there, he, he had, you know, he was in his early teens. He had no idea what to do, you know, call 911 but by the time everybody got there his dad was gone and he was just a lost you know kid and you know he applied for the scholarship and you know he's going to seminary school he's got straight A's and I mean he he sends us this crazy letter about how you know this foundation is everything to him and uh, we get all those all kinds of letters like that from the kids that we send to college and it's just you know, it's just one of those things. Hey, we can't, like we said, we, we're just going to, we're going to work on it one kid at a time. And we found that, that we can make a difference that way. This is, this is so impressive because you're turning a tragedy into a blessing. This is Vicki and, and Bill Atkins with the Brett Atkins Foundation. How old was Brett when he passed away? 17. Oh my. And you know, you're talking about the drugs that are out there. Um, I think, in the country today, a lot of people are, are focusing on the opioid crisis. Could you talk about some of the different influences of drugs that may be around in schools that parents maybe have no idea about? Well, hey, that's one of the things that, that we did with with uh, a, a couple of big tor- North Texas high schools is we actually met with uh, a couple of the, um, oh, what do you want to say, the, the in-school narcotics uh oh, what do you want to say off duty officers sure. and, and they they you know they talked about like you know i'm in my early 60s when i was growing up you know pot was grown on 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 on, on weeds and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know if, they weren't perfect in today's world they are perfect you know they're made in labs and and all these artificial drugs that are made overseas they're all made by scientists. And, and they're stronger. More, they're stronger. Way stronger. And kids got no idea. And, the, you know, unfortunately, the real expensive drugs that are imported, and a lot, you know, the, a lot of them are from China. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are so inexpensive and they're so uh, easy to get in because they're so small and they're so deadly. These kids don't know what they're doing and they, they, they have no idea. Uh, about what they're getting into you know and unfortunately with COVID we haven't been able to do a lot of things because we haven't had school but one of the things that we do do uh, and we will do once they get back in school full force is we'll geofence a lot of high schools and just put little ads out there so that you know when a kid googles you know you know mm-hmm. something like FinFin or whatever you know a, a little a little ad will come up and explain to them exactly what that is, where it's coming from and how it's made and how dangerous it is. Yeah. Because they just don't know. Yeah. They, they just don't know. You, you mentioned FinFin. Can you talk about some of the other, like some people just think, okay, maybe it's just weed and maybe weed isn't that bad, but what about like some of these synthetic drugs that are out there? The, the kids are able to get pills so easily. And I guess some of them are called designer drugs and some of them are more accessible and you probably have an idea of how kids actually get a hold of some of these things. You say you mentioned through the mail, but also amongst each other. Yeah, no. And the problem is, is it's so, you know, as technology continues to improve, I mm-hmm. mean, just think about where we are today. We're having this conference call, but right. you can just imagine where, you know, they've invented these, you know, in small places and small you know, 
in China, for instance, just in a in a you know a room ten by ten, they're able with technology to make these just amazing, powerful synthetic drugs. That you know the one of the things that I was just totally horrified when I was growing up, they were called the dots, and they were just on a piece of paper, and they're all multicolored, and it was just a mm-hmm. you know it was a candy that you'd buy at the five and dime store. Well, now they make you know the, the synthetics, and that's how they sell it on little on little pieces of paper, and that's literally all they are is a dot. But they you know they get a bad they get a bad a bad dose, and they're you know they're yeah, dead. That's it, and that's that. And kids don't think, even think twice about it. Hey, their buddy did it, heard about it last week, so hey, they got they're going to try it this week, and next thing you know, and it's not always. Um, you know, a lot of times they don't overdose. They, 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 you know, they make horrible decisions, mm-hmm. you know, and <clears throat> we found that trying to personally, Vicki and I, we, you just can't, you just can't do enough to get your arms around that just in North Texas. I mean, it, you know, I'd like to say, Hey, we're going to solve the problem. And that's kind of where we went in the beginning. But at the end of the day, it's a lot bigger problem than, 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 than our charity and we just couldn't swallow it all but we did find that we could take you know individuals and take them out of their terrible situation and improve their lives and it you know, once you see it work you kind of like hey we're like everybody creatures of habit if it works we're just going to do it over and over again now you guys have have given out 27 scholarships every year five thousand dollar scholarships 27 of them Vicky, is there significance to the number of tw- the number twenty-seven? Yes, <laughs> it was Brett's favorite number, and uh, it was his football jersey. And uh-huh. uh, so, after Brett's passing, we—I can't tell you how many times a day we see the number twenty-seven. Especially me, um, I look at I, my phone; it's seven twenty-seven. Uh, I see license plates all day, every day, with the number twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, yes. It's it's a huge number. We live on the twenty seventh floor, <laughs> so um, Brett's with us at all times. Could you talk about what you would say to parents that may be experiencing some of the same things? They notice some changes in their kids, or or the things that you went through that they may be seeing in their own kids. Well, hey, yeah. I tell you this is first of all, just you know, everybody thinks like I'm no I'm no different. I mean, I we were you know. Definitely, you know, well-to-do and, and very privileged family, and and you just don't think um, that there's any way. Uh, and and that's where I think, hey, it's not my kid, or my kid's not involved in that. Or, you know, I, I really didn't think much about how in-depth Brett was in social media. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I knew he was, you know, his friends were all there, but I didn't know that there were strangers there watching my son. You know, and, and, you know, hey, one of the things that he did was, you know, he showed off, uh, he borrowed one of my watches, you know, fancy Rolex, and, you know, he's on social media wearing that and borrowed my Gucci shoes. And before you know it, you know, he put a big target on his back, uh, you know. and You know and what did, happens? I'm going to tell you this right now. In this day and age, so many kids on social media want to be a Kardashian. They, Absolutely. it's about the look Absolutely. and, and what, what yes. you look at, look like on, on Instagram and Snapchat and impressing uh, or, or pretending to have a certain lifestyle. And that's how they get caught up. That's part of it. Yes, absolutely. And if I were to talk to parents today, I would say, don't turn a blind eye. These kids are, you know, they have choices in front of them every single day. And starting in middle school, mm-hmm. we're experiencing with the vapor, the vape pens, and yeah, the vapes. You know, then it goes from there. Then we go to to weed, and then we have coke, and we have it just, and then drinking, and they're just your kid is not invisible, and they're not above the law. Like, I mean, sometimes I think Brett thought that <laughs> it it's you just you have no idea the choices that you make, and it might be your first time trying drinking or drugs. It can cost your life, cost you your life. And, you know, these parents, some of them, some people I know don't say a word to their children. And, uh, right. you know, you got to just meet them where they're at instead of just yelling at them or, you know, yelling at them or grounding them or whatnot. Let's just have that conversation. Slow down and have a conversation with your kids and say, look, you know, I, I caught this. I saw this in your car. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about it. 
why are you doing that? Why do you feel like you have to numb yourself to the pain that you're going through or whatever it is? And, you know, get them in a program or get them to talk to somebody. If they don't want to talk to you, mom and dad, send them to somebody else that will listen to them because they're crying out. They're trying to uh, fill a void that will never be filled unless, you know, they figure their life out. And, you know, to me, get God in your life because it's not you're not going to make it without him. Exactly. In, in fact, um, I always say to to different people, you know, you can't keep your kids off of social media because it's in all the different peer groups right. uh, and it's just everywhere. But all you can try to be is a greater influence. And you just said it best, Vicki, it's, it's about communication. You, you, you want to try to find out what's going on with them and, and, and listen to them if they have something to say. And maybe right. you can influence them to either not do something or slow down doing it, or seek some help. Absolutely, and after Brett passed away, I uh, opened my my home on Wednesday nights to uh, you know fourteen to twenty year olds, and they would come in. I'd feed them some uh, good old <laughs> homemade macaroni and cheese and cookies, and you know they would come in and you know they would write down on a piece of paper what they were struggling with. Nobody put their name on it, put mm-hmm. it in a box we um, drew the what the conversation was about and had that conversation and that these kids coming and talking about their life their world and you know helping one another with what their struggles were and at the end of the day I would say you know if you came and you didn't get what you came for then that's not on me that's that's you yeah. so you know we just we just need to talk we're talking with Bill and Vicki Atkins and, and Bill how did you guys happen to choose to do this, the scholarships, where you could have gone on with your life? Uh, again, you could have done some things more privately to grieve or, you know, move on with your lives, but you decided to to give out scholarships to families and kids who said no to drugs. How did you come to that decision, and, and why did you choose this path? Well, again, like like I said, we I own several companies here in North Texas and, and, uh, Brett actually owned a big piece of one and Brett and my daughter. And at the end of the day, um, you know, he, he was, he's a millionaire. I hate to say that. Uh, and, and, but he was, and, and when he passed away my daughter inherited his money, mm-hmm. uh, and she just looked at me, you know, after a couple of weeks of us fighting through all this and said, dad, I don't, I don't need Brett's money. Let's, let's do, you know, let's do something else with it. And I said, I just kind of looked at her and go, cause she's a, you know, at the end of the day, she's like any, you know, teenage girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, she wants, she wants everything. And, sure. you know, and, and, and we did in the beginning, we kind of struggled what to do. And thank, thank God for Cheryl Jackson. She really kind of helped us with the, with the foundation and, and kind of put us in the right direction and keeps us, keeps us going where we're going. And, you know, Hey, one thing I might, you know, in today's world, you know, one of the things that's unusual is like this whole thing happened over a, a pot brownie. If you think about that. And we still, we still believe it came from Colorado. And what I mean by that is it was literally, you know, bought in Colorado legally and got here. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, again, social media, you know, Brett's, you know, on there with his friends and everything else. But at the same time, there are people lurking out there that decided that they wanted his watch, his shoes, and his truck. Mm-hmm. You know, and he shows up at a, a terrible decision. Shows up in the middle of nowhere on Christmas Eve, right? And uh, gets robbed. And that's exactly, you know, you sit there and go, hey, it couldn't happen to my kid. Well, my kid did it, and I, I still don't know why. You know, his, his ability to prosper was zero. I mean, and, and at the end of the day, he ended up dead over it, you know, and it could only imagine a big football player, Chris, and, you know, a couple of, you know, he's with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And you could only imagine a couple of kids say, hey, we were going to steal all your stuff. What's a 17-year-old kid that's, you know, 6'3", 220, tell him. He's going to say, gonna no, go, no, no, uh you're not <laughs> taking my stuff. Right, and so they wind up having a fight, and then it and goes worse, exactly and he's murdered. And unfortunately, my son my son was winning and when you know people get desperate right and at the end of the day the guy pulled out a gun out of the city and uh shot him when they were on the ground and you know it's just it was just beyond imagination 
you know, and uh, still, you know, it's we're coming up on four years here uh, this Christmas, and it, it's still, I mean, it's it, it just lingers. I, w- I was at his grave yesterday. I still can't believe it. You know, I was um, 17 just, years old. Yeah, 17 years old. Um, he had a saying, we got this. Can you talk about the meaning of that and where you guys go with it? Because we got that as a, as well, a phrase. Well, hey, and it's on my airplane. I learned how to fly. One of the things I learned to do uh, was to fly an airplane because it was my greatest fear. And and one of the things a guy taught me was, is, hey, the only way to get through this thing is face a couple of your biggest fears. Anyway, I did it. But Brett, you know, like – you know, anytime I was like, hey, son, you know, be careful tonight. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of that. Or, you know, be be careful in the game, son. You know, you're going up a big team and the guy's, you know, the guy's actually a little heavier than you and just pay attention and, you know, hey, make sure you watch your blind side. You know, my son's comment always was, dad, I got this. You know, mm-hmm. quit worrying about me. Dad, I got this. I mean, it, it was like his saying, no matter anytime you tried to. You know, hey, you're going out tonight. Hey, you got to be home. Dad, don't worry about it. I got this. And he was just, that was his favorite saying to us, don't worry, Dad. You know, yeah. nothing's going to happen. And and uh, <clears throat> it was just part of our, our life, you know, and we heard it so many times. And, you know, of course, you know, we thought he had that that night, but obviously he didn't. And um, unfortunately for us, we got to live through it and all his friends, you know. Sure. It, it, Again, like I said, you, you know, sometimes I worry about kids in high school, and we hear about it a lot. And I remember the kid in my high school, or in my even my my junior high, that was kind of the loner. Well, Brett wasn't that guy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see what goes on in some of this stuff, and we all knew that guy. And that guy's usually somebody that never has a chance. And unfortunately, it's what we want to be able to do is give that kid a chance, uh, even if you know he. You know, and that's one of the things that Cheryl's so good at is we help these kids. We walk them through the process because right. they don't know what to do. You know, there's scholarships mm-hmm. in high school, and, you know, they they sit there and go, hey, I'll never get one. There's no way. Why bother? And, and we kind of coach them through all that because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we do want to do. We want to take the kid that had no chance, uh, like the one we talked about that's in the mm-hmm. uh, seminary school, and you know, and watching get 4.0, you know, and like writing us a letter, sending his grades and go, thank you so much. You know, you just don't know what you mean. And the other thing that we're doing is, you know, we'd like to reinvent the wheel, but like this particular individual, you know, he's doing so well that we're, we're, we're giving him, you know, we're re-upping him for his sophomore year. Oh, that's and great. So, you know, it's not like we're just like getting them in school and then saying, hey, now you got to fend for yourself. Instead of starting over, we're just going to continue on with this individual and get him all the way home. That is fantastic. We're talking with Bill and Vicki Atkins with the Brett Atkins Foundation. You guys give out $27,000 scholarship to high school kids who say no to drugs. Now, how do the kids apply for these scholarships? Are they writing letters to you? What is the process? The process is to go on the brettadkinsfoundation.org website, Mm -hmm. and they can apply there. And it will walk you through what you need to um, say and um, why you feel that you deserve this scholarship. So you can go on the website and apply there. And when, hey Chris, it's really easy, too. I just mm-hmm. tell people, if you just Google Brett Atkins and it's spelled A-D-K-I-N-S, or if you even put the name Atkins in there, it's probably going to pop up on the homepage. Mm-hmm. And it, that's a good thing, right? And, we, you know, sure. at the end of the day, we don't want people trying to, you know, find – and it's just, you know, it's a form. And so it, it's simple uh, for that as far as that goes. You right? know, I'm, I'm wondering how you guys feel when you're able to give out these scholarships to the students. How do you feel about awarding them? Because I know reading the letters and, and reading through some of what these kids are going through or what they're trying to fend off, mm-hmm. it's, it probably makes you feel good, but also makes you feel like, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, taking a tragic situation and turning it into a blessing. Well, hey, here, Kristen, you know, we're not above asking for donations. And, and you know, and if anybody knows me, I, I, I'm not afraid to ask. And, hey, I'll ask right now anything you could do to help the organization feel sure, free. Sure, partner to up to it. Because it, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not money that we're wasting, trust me. And we, 
the Atkins family, we are heavily involved and we are heavily donors and, and we'll continue this process. But you, you know what? We had 1,100 plus applications last year. Oh. 1,100. Wow. So it's, it's, really, it's really disheartening to think that we have to pick the 27. You know, we would like to say, hey, it's going to be 47. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, but unfortunately, we also want this to go on for as long as we, you know, as we possibly can. And we've got to be, you know, again, we can't save every kid, but we can't we can make sure that we save them one at a time. And, you know, we, it's a difficult process. You sit there and go, man, I can't believe um, the challenges know, out we there. Sit down, yeah. We have a we have a board of directors and we all sit down and we read all the, you know, and we just go, hey. Here's our 27, you know, and um, believe it or not, uh, a couple of them, uh, you know, sent back things that, hey, we got uh, a scholarship from my academics, don't need it. That's great when we just move down the line and pass it to the the runner up. But like I said, it's uh, one of those things that, and and we'll help, we'll help you get through the process. um, And it's, you know, that's why a lot of people don't bother with it. And then they don't end up at school and you know, the struggle and everything mm-hmm. else, but we want to help the ones that need help. Well, we can't thank you guys enough for joining us. Vicki, is there anything you'd like to say before we, before we part? Because I think you guys are doing an outstanding job and this is a great opportunity for certain high schoolers applying for grants right now. Well, I'd like to add that it is very rewarding to see our son's legacy continue on through the, the lives of these, the, the youth today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Brett would just say, don't let them win. Just keep doing what you're good at and just get across the finish line. And, uh, you know, I want to see these kids succeed and uh, make good choices and know that they, they all have a calling on their life and they can, they can win with, with the right resources and the right people believing in them. Vicki, Bill, it's been a, a great conversation. And thanks again for joining us this morning. Thank you, Thank Chris. you, Chris. We appreciate it. We're oh, grateful. for sure. Thank for you. sure. Bill and Vicki Atkins with the Brett Atkins Foundation, helping change lives of, of students applying for scholarships uh, and saying no to drugs. And joining us now is Bob Williams, the CEO of the Ranch Hands Rescue and Bob's House of Hope. And you've got quite a story. I'm so glad you're able to join us this morning because the two projects that you're involved with starting with the Ranch Hands Rescue, is such a, a compelling story, and I think people need to know all about it, especially um, your newest organization, Bob's House of Hope, which is going to be the first ever in the United States safe house for young men who are sexually abused or sexually trafficked. So, Bob, thanks for joining us this morning. Well, thanks so much for having me. You know what? I, I really want to start out when you started with Ranch Hands Rescue. Because that organization and that place is so important up there in Denton County. And, and can you tell people how you started that in 2008 and what it's all about? Absolutely. You know, I always like to talk about myself so they can kind of understand how we got here. Sure. Um, you know, I grew up in Michigan, pretty normal family, uh, but I was raped as a teenager. Mm. And uh, my father was retired military. And when he picked me up from the hospital, he said, you know, you're just going to man up and we're never, ever going to talk about this again. And I was a junior in high school and, you know, I couldn't process it. And so I turned to drugs and alcohol and um, I was accepted into West Point and the FBI Academy at Quantico. And of course, I didn't go to either one of them. I was so damaged that I really, I just didn't want to be alive. Mm-hmm. And so I spent, I was homeless by the time I was 20, active in my addiction in my 20s. I got clean and sober for the first time at 26, and I relapsed at 27, and I got clean and sober at 28, and I've been clean and sober ever since. In in those days, there wasn't programs for boys. And so, you know, nobody really knew what to do, and, and, and I, I, I couldn't process what had happened to me. You know, I... I'm blessed that I never got into trouble, but I, I didn't want to. I, and so, you know, I struggled through those years. I was homeless for a period of time uh, at 20 for nine months. And 
you know, I struggled uh, trying to keep a job and different things. And, you know, I didn't know how to deal with the trauma or what had happened to me. And so I, I tell everybody that, you know, I'm really one of the lucky ones because when I got clean and sober, you know, I did every lousy job I think of. You know, I was a busboy. I cut sod. I just did, you know, a variety of meaningful labor jobs. But people really look down on me. And, you know, when you have a history of being an addict, people don't want to give you a second chance. You know, here I am. I'm 28 years old. I don't have a college education. There's there's no place for me to really go, all right? And people really treated me horrible. And, of course, some of it I deserved because of my addiction and being in that, but in that, uh, you know, terrible time of my life with drugs and alcohol. But the reality is here I am trying to put my life back together and get clean and sober. And so I used to send out resumes, and you'll probably get a kick out of this. You're too young to remember, but we really did need to send out resumes in those days. And, <laughs> right. and my dad's. My dad used to say to me, and and by the way, I have to tell you, I hated my dad for a lot of years because I couldn't understand why he couldn't help me. But one day when I made amends with him, when I got sober, he said to me, you know, I loved you so much. He had tears in his eyes. He said, I didn't know how to help you. Mm -hmm. And it's true. You know, he was a World War II vet. And, you know, they just, as I said, there wasn't programs for boys. And he really didn't know how to help me. Oh, anyway, he said to me, you know, just keep sending out resumes and never open them. And here I am trying to make a, 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 my resume look like I, I'm a busboy, but I'm running the restaurant. And, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you know the drill, right? So one day I get this call from Motorola, asked me to come up interview. And, you know, I thought I died and went to heaven. And I, I go up and I interview before this panel of people. And then this guy brings me in. His name was Pat. And he said to me, you know, I just got to tell you, your resume is one of the worst I've ever seen. But I had to meet you because we have sent you 18 rejection letters and you keep sending in resumes. And, you know, I, and I started laughing. So I, I told him my story, but I, I told him everything except that I was raped. But I did tell him that the struggles that I faced. And it turns out he was alcoholic and he goes for nine years and Motorola helped me. They helped me put my life back together. And so I'm going to give you a shot. And he hired me as a sales guy. There wasn't a cell system like we have today. And you went around to different you know, areas trying to sell people this $5,000 cell phone in a briefcase. And I became the number one sales guy in the country. So they promoted me to sales manager. And they said at that time, you know, if you want to get ahead in the company, you're going to have to get back in school. So Motorola put me back in school. And that was really the start of my healing. But, but 10 years into my career... And I was very fortunate that I had an amazing career with them. I knew I wasn't mentally healthy because mm-hmm. when you have to, you know, when you have such fear to close your eyes at night and go to sleep, because I was found asleep when I was raped, all right? And I, was, I woke up with a knife to my throat and I was brutally beaten and I was raped. Mm-hmm. And when you have to sleep with a gun next to the bed and when you have to get up 25 times a night and make sure the door is locked and that the windows are locked and you have to sleep with all the lights on, that's not normal. So I went to the Meadows in Wickenburg, Arizona, to really get the trauma therapy and the help that I needed so that I could have a full and productive life. And that was the first time that I talked about my rape and my trauma. And the woman who was one of my counselors was also a survivor, and she taught me how to be a survivor and not a victim. And that was a huge milestone in my life because it was like somebody had lifted 10,000 pounds of pressure off my shoulders and I could now start to talk about it. And so I decided then that I was going to try to take that experience and help as many people as I could. And in 2007, I had a stroke. And I don't, I don't say this to sound pretentious, but my closest friend for 25 years was Doris Roberts, who was most famously known for playing the TV mom on the show Everybody Loves Raymond. That's right. So Doris had this old spring mattress in her bedroom, all right? You'd have thought with all her money she'd have bought a decent bed. But, you know, it was one of those ones from, like, the 30s. And when you moved, it had coils, all right? So I thought, you know, I woke up and my neck was hurting and my arm was numb. And I thought, well, I probably got a pinched nerve in my neck. Mm-hmm. And we were getting ready to go to lunch. And, and I told her, I said, you know, I don't feel good. I think I just want to lay down. And she called her doctor, all right? So he said, bring him in right away. And so I, here we go in, and 
And it turns out, he says, I think you're having a stroke. And so I got into the medical center and I got that stroke medicine. And it saved my life because, you know, if you get it within a few hours of, mm-hmm. of symptoms, it really helps you. And so what happened was I had this amazing career at Motorola. But at the same time, one of my close friends, dear friends, Jeffrey Frost, he had a heart attack in London. And he died because they couldn't get medical care to him. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be in India or someplace and have something. It was a real big wake-up call for me, all right? Mm -hmm. So I decided to retire in 2007 and do something that I loved. So I started to, Doris and I, we talked every day. And, you know, I I started, I learned everything about um, animals and and animal cruelty from our old sheriff here in Denton County, Benny Parkey. He's, He's since passed away, but... I started saving animals just as something to do. And I thought, you know, they had this amazing effect on me. And I'd go to the heart doctor and to the neurosurgeon, and they'd say, you know, what's happening to you? You're kind of like a different person. Because I've always been a little high strung and a little high maintenance, you know. And so um, I was telling Doris about it, and she said, well, you know, have you ever thought about starting an animal sanctuary? And if you want to do that, I'll help you. I'll help you raise money. And I said, well, I want to do more than that. You know, I want to help people, too. But at that time, I just didn't understand how that was going to work. Mm -hmm. But I knew that with being diagnosed with PTSD and high anxiety, that there was something to this. So um, we started off originally in 2008. We filed our public charity status. Uh, In 2009, we got our public charity status. And so we started off as a rescue. And then I started doing a tremendous amount of research on counseling and mental health therapy. And there's a tremendous amount of data, Chris, on the power of horses and mental health therapy. We know the benefits of riding therapy and mental health therapy. There's a tremendous amount of data about, we know, dogs lower blood pressure in hospitals and nursing homes and things like that. And so we get all this with companion animals. Mm -hmm. But there's not one piece of data in the entire country, as a matter of fact, we're the first to publish it, about the power of abused and neglected animals in mental health. So what I did is I established a sanctuary for specifically special needs animals, and I call them the throwaways because they're the ones that nobody wants. Typically, animals that are blind or they've been seized for abuse or neglect or they've got broken bones, they're the most expensive to rehabilitate. So most organizations just euthanize them. And as a matter of fact, law enforcement was in the in a case where they'd say, okay, nobody wants to take this horse with a broken leg or whatever the case is, mm-hmm. and they would just put them down, all right? And I thought, you know, those animals are kind of like me. You know, they're the throwaways. They're just as important as the ones that are healthy. And they deserve to have a place that they can live a full and productive life and just be a horse or a sheep or, you know, whatever it is. And on the animal side, you know, we have 57 special needs animals. We've done the first ever um, uh, prosthetic leg in a horse without amputation in 2010. We did the first ever stem cell transplant in a horse with nanofiber technology to heal the tendon without scar tissue. We did the first ever open heart surgery in a sheep that's ever been done in the world. And we had a lot of these things that we did just because I thought, you know, if they can do it for people, they can do it for animals. And and they did. And we even have a dog with three prosthetic legs today. My goodness. So, So what happened was... I, I'd, I'd reach out to all these people and I'd say, you know what? I got this idea. I, I want to develop a counseling program, but I want to take all the things I like from all the years of counseling that I've had. And I want to develop a program where we partner animals with people that have suffered severe trauma. And I want to specialize in kids because I couldn't process what happened to me at 17. I couldn't imagine a six-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 13-year-old being able to process you know, any type of sexual or physical abuse. Mm-hmm. And so everybody turned me down. Everybody said, nope, it's not going to work. You got to have healthy animals. It's just, you know, nice thought, but it's not going to work. So I finally found this counselor by the name of Kim, and she was doing work with kids that have been sexually abused using healthy horses. And I met with her, and I went through my whole life story with her, and I talked about this, all these ideas that I had. And, And she looked at me and she said, you know, I I admire you for what, you know, that you want to help people, but this just isn't going to work. You got to have healthy animals. 
And I said, no, I just, I really think there's something here. Well, you know, the one thing I learned from Doris, Chris, and you'll relate to this as a, as a host, radio host, but she had this motto, and it was, I don't give in, I don't give up, I don't take no for an answer, and I never, ever settle. And, and that resonated with me, because Doris wasn't only a close friend, but she was a role model and a mm-hmm. mentor to me. And so um, I just kept pounding Kim, you know, saying, hey, would you please give us some thought? Well, finally, she I guess she got tired of me calling her. She goes, okay, I'll bring a couple of kids up there, and I'll try it. And she called me up, and she said, let's meet. And so we met, and she said, you know, I think you're onto something here. So her and I sat down, and we designed this, you know, comprehensive counseling program. And we finished that, and of course, you know, now where do I take it? So I, I took it to the Children's Advocacy Centers. And I thought, you know, they're doing such great work with kids that let me take it to them and see what they think. So we gave their clinical team this incredible presentation, and the executive director looked at me and said, oh, my God, Bob, I love this. This is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And this was in 2010. And I said, incredible. When can we start? And he goes, no, 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 no. We, you, no, we, we got 21 counselors. I just think you're going to do amazing things in the community with this. So I said to him, I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, absolutely. And I said, can you save every child? And he thought for a minute and he said, no. And I looked at him and I said, then where did they go? And he looked at me and he said, you know what? You got something there. Mm -hmm. And that was the start of our pilot program in 2010, working with the Children's Advocacy Centers. And, and so the best way to think about this is in any segment of the population, even though we specialize in kids that have been sexually abused and sex trafficked, our program really works for anyone. There's about 1% to 8% of any segment of the population, whether it's kids that have been sexually abused or sex trafficked, whether it's battered women, whether it's veterans with severe PTSD and anxiety, whatever the case is, mm-hmm. they don't respond to traditional office therapy. Those are the clients that need a different or more alternative, progressive approach to mental health. And that's where the animals come in. Our criteria, Chris, for free services or subsidized services is that an individual must have been in a program previously and they failed. So our referrals, we have 28 partner agencies in the Metroplex that we work with that refer clients to us that are regressing. So when you see kids, for example, It's typically kids that have had long-term abuse or sexual abuse, uh, multiple abusers, that sort of thing. When Mm -hmm. they regress, you start seeing all kinds of additional symptoms that they start to manifest. So when they're not getting better, you see eating disorders, extreme uh, uh, anger, self-mutilation. We probably have 15 kids in our program right now. They're cutting their forehead, their cheeks, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Their arms and stuff, yeah. Yeah. It's all these outcries, right? And so our counseling team and our psychologists are like trauma surgeons because they're dealing with severe case after severe case, not just dealing with the original trauma, but they're dealing with um, all the other things that have manifested. And it's completely normal what these kids are going through or these individuals. 80% of our program is kids who have suffered this type of abuse and 20% is made up of veterans, battered women, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So what happened was um, the program started to become recognized, uh, you know, around the country and people started talking about it. And then more and more partners came out and people were interested in what's really making this work. And then we worked with universities to help develop testing for us because you can't test a six-year-old the same way you test a Mm 15-year-old. A a boy is different than a girl, you know, those sorts of things in terms of ages and so on. And um, and now we're working with uh, the University of Oregon to develop not only additional testing, but they're going to validate our testing and they're going to publish it. It is off the charts exceptional in, in terms of how many people we've helped, thousands of people, and how how great they're doing in terms of getting to the root of their trauma. But it's not just animal therapy. We have to be able to do all the other modalities, EMDR and CBT and sand therapy and play therapy and those kinds of things, because these cases are so complex. Um, You know, you got to kind of throw the kitchen sink at it. My clinical team hates this, but the bottom line is you take the best of what you think is going to work. You know, Mm -hmm. we get kids in, they don't speak. 
You know, they didn't speak when they were at Children's Hospital or wherever they were at because mm-hmm. their trauma is so severe. They're referred to us, and they may not speak right away with us either. But there's, there's again, that bond, and I can, I can give you several stories as we kind of get through this of how it works. But Go right ahead. The rea- the, well, you know, I'll give an example of a, sure. of a 13-year-old girl who, um, and this was a big news story, sexual abuse story here in the Metroplex, and, uh, and she didn't speak for months. And we got this horse in who had been beaten with a feed bucket, and her jaw was um, wired shut. Wow. So this little girl, you know, previously at the advocacy center, she didn't talk. She was referred to us. She didn't speak with us for two months. So, you know, here we are. We're trying everything, and she just wouldn't talk. She just hung her head down. And so when this horse came in, all of a sudden, the counselor's out in the pasture with her, and she looks at her counselor and says, what happened to that horse? Well, I mean, no, nobody could believe it. It just those were the words that came right out of her mouth. And so the counselor explained, well, the horse was beaten with a feed bucket and law enforcement seized the horse. And he's had to have his mouth wired. Uh, I mean, she's had to have her mouth wired shut. And so the little girl then went on and said, um, you know, my daddy locked me in the closet. He hurt me. He used to beat me with a dog leash. I mean, it all just came out. Wow. Right. And I mean, we all cried and her foster parents cried. All right. Because this was almost six months of absolutely no verbal communication with anybody, including her family. And so we know that some kids, some people will tell an animal something before they will tell an adult in a traditional office environment. And because the trauma is so severe. You know, with sex trafficking, and I'll get into a little bit about how Bob's House of Hope was, you know, came underway, but there's not a rational person that can understand or comprehend, Chris, what people, what these kids go through. Mm-hmm. And so about, so about four years ago, so we've always had sex trafficking victims, but they were women in our program, right? Mm-hmm. And we, the youngest sex trafficking victim that we had was six years old. This was a major case here in Denton County, but nobody knew the child was with us. And, um, and it was a big, big sex trafficking case. And, and the, the young lady is now adopted and out of state. But anyhow, she was in our program for a couple of years. And what happened was I, they were forming a coalition in North Texas to talk about human trafficking and ways to combat it. So they asked me if I would join. And, you know, I go to this meeting and there's all these people from law enforcement, Homeland Security, and there's judges and there's there's uh, detention officers for kids and, you know, all these different people. And I'm I'm myself and one other person are the only lay people in there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought I really didn't know why they wanted me there other than, <clears throat> you know, we could provide some um, healing aspects to what we're doing with sex trafficking victims. All right. And at that time, they were all women. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just raised my hand one day and I said, can I ask a, a question? And Judge McCary, who's one of our local judges here, done, said, absolutely. And I said, is there a problem with boys? And she looked at me and she said, Bob, it's the single biggest problem in the country today and nobody's talking about it. And this was approximately three years ago. And so I thought, oh, and she, she said, I think you're the perfect person to look into this and see really what's happening. So I started doing all kinds of research on were boys being sex trafficked and what was happening. And then if you looked at the national data back then, they'd say 10% of boys are being sex trafficked. And I'm like, well, that can't be right with the stories that we're starting to hear. Mm -hmm. And so I started to question it. And then I realized that not only, so, so how this all came about was I was doing a TV interview and this doctor said, well, you know, I'm sorry, but because you know, I said, well, I, we think that up to 50 percent of human trafficking victims are boys or young men. And she said to me, well, no, no, I think that's incorrect, because if you look at the national data, blah, blah, blah. And then I said to her, well, can you tell me how you capture that data? And she said, well, it's basically just overflow from when, you know, when we do things or when there's arrests, you know, sometimes they find boys. All right. And I'm like, well, there's nothing specific to boys. I mean, has anybody ever really looked at this data and said, how big of a problem is this? And she couldn't answer the question. So I said, okay, now we're on to something here. Okay. We know that not only is there a lack of data, 
but there's a complete lack of training. So, so now is where it really gets interesting. So a couple of years ago, Governor Abbott said, look, this is a big problem with um, boys and young men being human trafficked. So we're going to form a task force and we're going to try to figure out how big is the problem and what do we do to fix it and, and provide resources and then how do we arrest the traffickers? And so they asked me to be on it, which I'm very proud to serve on. I also serve on the Attorney General's Task Force for Human Trafficking. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where my eyes were really opened to the fact that not only is this happening, but people have no idea how to, um, you know, what to look for with boys, because the myth is, is that they can get away. So we call them the unseen survivors. Mm-hmm. And, and what happened is then we started to realize as the word got out, we started talking about this, that our phones were ringing. People were saying to me, you know, we have an 18-year-old sex trafficking victim. You know, we don't have a place to put them. When I started Ranch Hands Rescue, Chris, I only wanted to fill a void. I started a, a sanctuary for special needs animals because there wasn't one. I developed a counseling program for individuals that 1% to 8% of, of, of people or kids that need a different or more alternative, uh, uh, you know, a solution to mental health therapy because there wasn't one. And now I'm opening the first safe house in the country for young men that have been sex trafficked 18 to 24 years old because there isn't one. Will your treatments and, be different than what you do, you know, with the ranch hands rescue? Is it going to be somewhat similar? What we've got to do with these young men and with what they've been through is to, first of all, we got to give them hope. All right. This safe house, we're going to do several things with it. Number one, we're going to put God in their life, and we're going to, or we're going to teach them what their higher power is. Mm-hmm. That's going to be very difficult because of what they've been through. You know, sex trafficking is a billion-dollar-a-year industry, and many of these young men have been, have been trafficked to different people six, eight, ten times a day. All right? So having said that, we're going to give them a safe environment to live in. We're going to teach them a trade or put them back in school. We're going to give them all of the psychological, psychiatric, and counseling um, that they need, all right, in order to heal them. We're going to understand is their mental illness combined with this addiction. We're going to deal with the trauma that they've been through and the trauma bonding that they have for the traffickers. You know, it's kind of people talk about it or refer to it as the Patty Hearst syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's this very sick affection for the people that have hurt you, but it's because of the way they drug them up, demean them. You know, they want to keep them under their thumb. And um, we're going to bring awareness to this situation. We're going to have a mentoring program where we leverage our veterans, both men and women. We're going to have a grandparenting program. I believe that through our actions that we're going to be able to not only restore hope, but we're going to give them the help that they need. This is a long-term care program. It's a minimum two years and most likely three years. You know, you can't flip these people after what they've been through overnight. Mm-hmm. And um, it's going to take time to be able to teach them how to rebuild trust again, enter society. You know, law enforcement deals with these kids on a, um, on a daily basis because they, they're, they're, they have survival sex and they do things to make money. You know, they rob and they do different things sure. to make money because they... So let's talk about this for a second. The foster care system really is an incredible system, right? And every system's got its issues. But the foster care system has an incredible transition program for kids coming out, you know, aging out for 18 to 22 years old. But here's the problem. You've got a kid that's been in the system his whole life, right? And, um, And he's been sexually abused or physically abused, bullied, whatever the situation is. And... Um, he turns 18 and they just want to get out on the street, but yet they don't have any life skills. They don't understand how to interview for a job. They don't have a car. So here they leave. They're out on their own. All right. And all of a sudden, uh, they're having survival sex or doing things just to survive because they don't know how to live. You know what I mean? They've Mm -hmm. never been taught. And so the, that's the challenge and predators Prey on vulnerable kids. You would be shocked at the amount of autistic kids. You know, all multicultural groups, Chris, 
right. that are lower income are at risk. Everybody's right. at risk because it's happening in every community. If you have a kid that's vulnerable, a predator is going to figure out how to get to them. By the way, Bob, how do, how do you find the kids in order to help them? Are are these kids runaways? Are they are they uh, kidnapped? Are they with their families, but they're just not saying what's going on? I mean, how are you able to? I mean, I'm sure there's some adults who who may find out about your program. Is it is it law enforcement that knows about your program, Bob's House of Hope? Yeah. So primarily, our calls come from law enforcement. So you know. With the new way of policing today, and and by the way, we're working with police departments to train them on what to look for with these young men because we call them the unseen survivors, you know, because of the um, stigma associated with this. Right. There are, and there are many people that are afraid of their traffickers, so they don't want to come forward. Um, We're teaching them on what to look for and how to identify these young men. But to your point, Chris, the the majority of them will come from law enforcement or from partner agencies who have outreach centers in various cities across the country. We can take kids from anywhere in the country. I call them kids, but I'm talking about this segment of 18 to 24. Mm-hmm. And um, and then uh, and they typically identify them. And then we have a series of criteria that we go through because we want them prosecuting their traffickers. Sure. Now, now, most people think of the movie Taken, all right? Um, the reality is that many of these young people are trafficked by their own family, all right? Wow. It's major money, yeah, or a relative. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a 15-year-old boy who uh, was, mother died when he was four, uh, adopted by an uncle, trafficked for eight years to both men and women, uh, and animals were brought into the, um, the trafficking. Wow. There's there's not one rational person that can even comprehend that. Now, he's in jail, and, and that whole group is in jail, but the child is going to need forever counseling, all right? Extremely angry, doesn't know if he's gay, straight, you know, bisexual, transgender, I mean, sure. very confused, and a tremendous amount of issues. That's a very difficult situation to sort through. I mean, teenagers have enough issues. But for this kid, you know, and he, he came to us through Children's Hospital. So the, the challenge here is not only identifying him, but, you know, we rescued a young man um, with one of our partners and with law enforcement, because we always do everything with law enforcement, uh, from South Texas. And when, with, when, the, when the police officers got him to the hospital, the hospital didn't know how to do a rape kit on a boy. There's just a tremendous amount of education that needs to happen and that and awareness. And, and this morning in the sh- in the press conference, our sheriff stood up and said, you know, he's been doing this for 30 years. And he wonders, you know, did he come in contact with people, you know, young people and, and not know that they were being trafficked? Because this is now just coming to light. But if we don't keep this dialogue up, and if we don't start educating people that, you know, the average age that boys are targeted on the Internet is 13, that this is happening in our community, that our kids are vulnerable, social media is the worst, uh, you know, mm-hmm. worst thing for any parent, right? Because uh, it's like Disneyland for predators. Yes, um, and there's the bullies gonna... and bots and everything out there. People can disguise themselves and be uh, keyboard tough guys. Right, right. And then on top of that, Chris... There are websites now. So you have these young people, many of them who are trafficking themselves, and we call it third-party trafficking. The trafficker is the website. They get on these sites, and they're doing, you know, porn or whatever, and people subscribe to it for $3.99 a month or $4.99 a month, right? And so these kids think it's easy money. They're trafficking themselves without understanding that they're really involved in trafficking. But the site is the actual trafficker because they're the conduit to make it happen. And then these kids, they start making money, and most of them are college students, and then all of a sudden they decide they're going to go meet somebody, whether it's a male or a female, and and keep in mind 35% of predators are female, right? Okay. So, yeah, so what happens then is they meet the wrong person, and it's over, you know what I mean? And they're able to control them because they manipulate them with drugs 
and alcohol and fear. All right, so it is actual human slavery. This is an amazing story, and this is amazing work that you're doing. Can you give people a website or a location how they can get in touch with either you or your staff with Ranch Hands Rescue or with the the new project you're working on, Bob's House of Hope? Right. Um, I will be happy to do that. I appreciate you sharing it. So our website is real simple. It's www.ranch, R-A-N-C-H, hand, H-A-N-D, rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E, dot org. And our office number is 940-240-0500. Oh, we're so glad you were able to join us. This was a courageous conversation, uh, a topic that a lot of people know about but are, are, are have ideas and questions about it, and you basically shared it. And, again, we've got to check back in with you later down the road to see how things are going and also find out some more things about Bob's House of Hope and Ranch Hands Rescue. Bob Williams, the CEO, thanks again for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for your kindness, and I hope you have a blessed day. I appreciate you. You too, Bob. I'm Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thank you for joining me. Tune in next week as we focus on our other organizations doing great things in our community right here on Better Living. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.